Hello and welcome to KOPW. I'm Sam and I'm here today with a shorter episode. I wanted to uh, follow up on some of the comments that I made in the State of the Podcast episode um, and bring you a couple of small uh, reviews and insights, uh, comments about some of the wrestling documentaries that I've been watching recently. Um, I took advantage of the HighSpots.com 50% off sale and picked up uh, quite a few um, DVDs, uh, all documentaries, um, didn't buy any shows. Um, you know, these days, uh, honestly, I do a lot uh, of my shows uh, via streaming. Um, it's just easier and, and keeps keeps the clutter down. Uh, but the great thing about a lot of these documentaries, and it's something that I'll talk about over the course of the reviews and comments that I'm making about them, is that um, there are, of course, extra discs uh, that provide uh, content that is not available if you choose to stream these documentaries um, off of a service like High Spots, um, you know, streaming service. So uh, for me, that's a big draw, and I wanted to make sure that I had all that additional content. Um, so big shout out, first of all, to HighSpots.com uh, for being open, for fulfilling orders, um, for, for getting these to me so quickly. Um, you know, Big shout out, of course, to the United States Postal Service, all the work that they are doing right now um, at, at risk. Uh, and I think that uh, it's it's commendable, um, and and I you know to to scratch an itch that is so inconsequential as a wrestling documentary, um, and to provide that for us right now uh, is is pretty great. So uh, kudos to them. Um, a big shout out to the Man Scout Jake Manning. Um, if you're unfamiliar with his work, uh, you can check him out. Um, you know, in uh, the sort of the southeastern mid Atlantic region. Uh, uh, of independent promotions like Nova Pro, uh, really cool guy, um, excellent wrestler, and uh, he was the one that literally fulfilled my order. He actually grabbed my DVDs, packed them up, and shipped them off to me. Um, and he responded on Twitter when I was posting about picking up these documentaries uh, about that very fact, and also let me know that a couple of the items that I got were amongst the last that they had in stock, including, I don't do autographs very often, I'm not a big autograph person, um, it's just never been something that I put a lot of value in, um, I always... You know, I, I, I always valued a picture with somebody uh, or, or a conversation with somebody a little bit more. That's just me. I, I completely understand the draw. I mean, I do have autographs. It's not like I don't have any. Um, but in this instance, I paid uh, a nominal fee. It was it ended up being an extra ten bucks, uh, which was actually only five bucks with the fifty percent off uh, for the Harley Race God's uh, Greatest Wrestler in God's Greenest Earth. Um, that's I massacred that title. Uh, <laughs> I paid the extra money to get an autographed uh, DVD cover, and the cool thing is, is that that was actually shipped separate. So my DVD um, of the um, the documentary uh, has a regular cover on it, and then in a in a nice safe uh, slip cover came the other. Um, cover which was autographed by Harley Race and uh you know I'm going to talk a little bit about Harley Race um because that is one of the documentaries that I that I decided to pop in first um but I think that there's no understating um his his impact 
um, on professional wrestling in the 70s in particular, um, and how he was viewed by his peers is something quite remarkable. So, you know, I just thought, why not? Why not? Um, I thought about doing the Dynamite Kid one, uh, but it's a little pricier, uh, understandably, because unfortunately those are both talents that are no longer with us. Um, and, you know, you could say a lot about him personally um, and how he chose to, to live his life outside the ring. But again, someone who uh, there's no doubt about his impact inside the ring. And I'll certainly be talking about that documentary, Pure Dynamite, um, on a later episode. But on this episode, I want to focus on the Harley Race documentary um, and the uh, Championship Wrestling from Florida documentary, um, both of which I really enjoyed. Um, I will say that the um, Championship Wrestling from Florida documentary is definitely going to be, uh, I think, the the winner uh, if we pit the two of these against one another. Um, that said, the Harley Race documentary certainly has a lot of value. Um, so starting off, uh, the Harley Race documentary, The Greatest Wrestler on God's Green Earth, which was sort of his catchphrase uh, he used to use in interviews. Um, the documentary um, is uh, produced by Elbow Productions, distributed by HighSpots.com. Um, they have worked together on a lot uh, of these wrestling documentaries um, and produced some really high-quality stuff Um which I'll continue to talk about because quite a few of the documentaries that I ordered from High Spots were Elbow Productions. So um, I certainly encourage you to check out their work. Um, they're probably most well known for amongst you know wrestling fans for the um, Jim Crockett Promotions, the Good Old Days uh, documentary, which is a fantastic documentary. And the unfortunately the three disc DVD set is sold out. Um, the only way to find it is going to be through you know third party uh, going on eBay that sort of thing. Um, but I, I can say that that is also one that I'll be reviewing later on, but just up front, worth every penny. Uh, so back to the Harley Race documentary. Um, the documentary starts off, uh, and I would say the, the first third of the documentary is, is really content-wise is superb. Um, you know, one of the things that a lot of these wrestling documentaries obviously are always going to um, come up against, especially when you compare them to something that maybe the WWE has produced or even something that New Japan Pro Wrestling has produced, um, are production values. The production values um, are, are going to tend to be a little bit lower, especially when it comes to the interview footage that is used, um, which kudos to the folks at Elbow Productions um, and High Spots for using what is already there. Now, obviously, for this Harley Race documentary, um, there there is some new footage that was shot, I believe, with Harley for the intent of making this documentary. But there's also um, a lot of reused interview snippets. Um, one of the most reused uh, uh, things that you'll see throughout the course of a lot of these documentaries uh, is the massive highspots.com shoot interview with Ric Flair. Um, it's, it's, I think it's an eight hour, maybe even over eight hour, uh, interview, um, with Ric Flair shortly after his, um, retirement match. Um, uh, I, I believe maybe he'd started in TNA by that point. Maybe it was right before TNA. I, I'm, I'm a little foggy on the timing, but I'll talk more about that later. Um, 
And, and, and that interview is, is incredible. There is no denying it. Um, if, if Rick is stretching any truths or telling any outright lies, it sure as hell doesn't seem like it. Um, it's a very relaxed setting. Uh, he's dipping skull. He's, you know, he's being very honest, very direct. He seems sharp as attack. Um, and I think that that footage that has been reused in some of these documentaries is quite frankly invaluable. Um, and he contributes, um, to this documentary. Um, there, there's other, uh, um, you know, contributions that are made. Um, Larry Matisic is one um, who I think he has such a wonderful working knowledge of the business, his experience in the business in the St. Louis territory uh, in particular, um, and with talents like Harley Race and Bruiser Brody. I know that the Bruiser Brody documentary, which is another one that I'll get to at some point, um, which is fantastic, he contributed quite a bit to as well. So You'll see from a lot of, of folks uh, uh, on here. Now, you know, it, it also, of course, because this is a not a WWE-produced documentary, there are a lot of people you don't get to hear from, and that certainly, in my opinion, has a big impact on the um, last third or so of this documentary. Um, but the first third that that not only talks about Harley's beginning, his training, um, driving around Happy Humphrey, uh, which is a name you should look up if you don't know it. Um, the stories about uh, him breaking into the business are, are fascinating. And the, the thing that the documentary does well is that it, it goes the extra mile. And instead of just being purely biographical and saying, Harley Race did this and then he did this, it, it really gives you a context of what the business was like during that particular time. And it, and it emphasizes the fact that it was when Harley started to break in the waning days of the sort of carnival sideshow attraction of professional wrestling. Um, you know, professional wrestling had been around and in existence for, you know, arguably 60, 70 years by the time Harley broke into the business. That said, it really wasn't until, you know, the the, the late 20s, uh, sort of that Depression era, uh, or pre, right before the Depression era, that it started to uh, expand beyond that with names like Hackenschmidt and Gotch. Um, and, and there were certainly big names prior to that, and there were big matches prior to that, but it really stepped up to become more of this... Um, you know, global phenomenon on par with boxing. Now, of course, at the time, the it was accepted, you know, for most people that it was a shoot. Um, a lot of folks knew that it wasn't. Um, you, you know, um, I, I, there's actually a very famous book that was written, uh, I believe, in the 40s that basically peeled the curtain back and said exactly what it was. And so a lot of people knew that it was work, but um, there were still a lot of people that accepted it as a shoot. And so by the time Harley came around, you know, television existed. You you had names like Luthez in the household. You you, you know, you, you were starting to see stars like Vern Gagne. So it, I, I, I think that the document does a wonderful job of contextualizing where he started, how he started, and where the business was at that particular time, um, and that you were seeing sort of the the television days uh, of wrestling really start to eclipse that sort of sideshow carny attraction that it had been um, for the bulk of its existence, which I thought was fascinating. And they talk a lot about how Harley 
um, came up with that particular side of wrestling as his background, you know, of, of, of being a part of the carnival, uh, of learning, um, you know, some of the hooking basically that, uh, a lot of, um, wrestlers up until that point had to have in their repertoire in order to take care of themselves. But at that particular time, you were also starting to see a lot of wrestlers not know that particular side of the business. Um, it was no longer as, as important to be a legitimate wrestler as much as it was to have a personality and that's not to say that a lot of those guys during that era couldn't wrestle but I think that it, it is a fact that if you put them up against some of these other folks you know these the Luthezes the the Frank Gotches before him uh, the Farmer Burns you would certainly see a very different outcome in a shoot style match um, whereas there was certainly an era of professional wrestling that if you put a you know an Ed Strangler Lewis in the ring with a Luthez and they were going to start hooking you would probably still see a somewhat competitive bout um you know I think we could argue all day long who would win um probably Strangler Lewis but but I I think that it's important to contextualize the beginning of his career and the documentary does a wonderful job of doing that um, you know, you hear a lot from Harley over the course of the the interview, and I think that uh, in the early part of his career, you get this sense that he was kind of, um, you know, he's kind of the uh, the gopher in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I'm not saying he was bringing people coffees and sandwiches, but he was pretty much, you know, just driving guys around, uh, bathing one of the wrestlers because of his size. Uh, you know, he, he was taking on a lot of these sort of menial tasks and not necessarily, you know, he's, he was not an overnight sensation. Um, he was certainly athletic. He was certainly someone that could, um, take a beating, take a pounding. Um, but he wasn't a star yet. Um, they do talk about, um, the car accident that he was in, um, with his new wife, um, early in his career and in life, which ended up taking the life of his young wife and their unborn child. Um, he nearly lost his leg, um, due to the injuries he sustained. A doctor was going to amputate and, um, the wrestling promoter that he was working with at the time actually stepped in and said, no. You, you can't take this boy's leg, um, which is something that, you know, Harley was obviously grateful for. Um, the, you know, the next part of the documentary that segues into, you know, his early career with the tag team with Larry Hennig uh, is very well done, but it, it certainly was the first moment when I wanted, it left me wanting more. And sometimes, you know, any, you sit down to watch any piece of entertainment, um, you know, even a documentary film, you want to at times be left with a sense of wanting more. Um, but I think in this particular instance, I, they could have given me more and I wouldn't have been disappointed in that. I wouldn't have felt like it was too much. Um, there's some great stuff though, you know, some great stuff from Jim Cornette, some, some great, uh, archival, uh, images of, of, of posters and that sort of stuff talking about Harley in Memphis. Um, and, and then the documentary at, you know, after this point, 
it, it starts to build to his first championship reign. And I feel like this is where the documentary honestly starts to lose its way a little bit. And I don't know if that's because footage was hard to come by, um, if it was because there was certain footage they couldn't use because they couldn't license it from the WWE, um, or, or what the case may have been. And I certainly hope to reach out and maybe even you know, get the chance to interview the folks at Elbow Productions or over at High Spots, ask some more in-depth questions. Um, but uh, for me... The once he became champion, the documentary really did lose a lot of steam. Um, there were some interesting moments. Uh, I think that once you know they start to talk about Harley transitioning from wrestler to promoter, um, not really transitioning. I mean, he was still a wrestler first and foremost, but he was also promoting that Kansas City area, um, and and how he kind of steeled himself for war with Vince was really interesting um, because everyone that that is interviewed for this part of the documentary, you know, no one was blind to the fact that Vince was taking over, um, that there weren't a lot of people that were going to be able to put up a real fight. But Harley decided to do that in spite of knowing that it was probably going to be a lost cause. And it's a really interesting piece of the documentary and testament to his character. Um, and I'll leave it to the documentary to tell the story because there are multiple voices that, that do and will do a better job than I could. But I, I, I'm very impressed with that particular part of the documentary. And it's, it's, a, it's a small part. You know, it comes after um, kind of the overview of, of him being the champ and uh, the Starcade uh, 83 match with Ric Flair. Um the, the the documentary then, you know, obviously goes into the fact that he did end up going to the WWF, uh, which is, on a personal note, where I was first exposed to Harley Race. Uh, you, you know, um, I was born in 1981, and by the time I started wrestling, um, or started watching wrestling, rather, <laughs> never started wrestling. Anyway, by the time I started watching wrestling, it was... Um, you know, I was, I was probably three or four years old and, uh, some of my earliest memories are literally of watching professional wrestling, but living in Kansas city area at the time, in spite of course, Harley race being a huge name in that territory, um, WWF was at that point, you know, starting to really take over and, um, you know, watching those, those early shows, those, you know, the, 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 almost those pre WrestleMania days, um, you saw names um, that that Vince was collecting from around the country, um, and and continued to see those names. And of course, when I was kind of in that prime age of, of viewing wrestling, um, when Harley Race, you know, came in, uh, you know, right around that WrestleMania three time, uh, you know, like I said, I was just the prime age for it, and I, I can remember seeing Harley Race. The funny thing is, is that my parents, and this is something I think is a testament to the impact of Harley Race, my parents knew right away who he was. And obviously they didn't change his name or anything like that. That wasn't something that Vince did a whole lot of back then with, with these talents, um, you know, because it wasn't, I don't think the business was viewed in such a way that like, you know, this is a, a product that's my product and I need to be able to control the intellectual property uh, that is this wrestler's name or, or persona. And, and, and while certainly wrestlers had been changing their name 
names and going from territory to territory as different characters for for years it wasn't it wasn't like you know the order of the day um whereas today obviously it's much more common Anyway, you know, my parents knew right away who he was, and my dad had grown up in Kansas City, um, and my mom had grown up in Iowa and spent some time in, in Minneapolis, actually, and uh, for a while she was working um, as, as a waitress um, at, at a bar, and it happened to be a bar that a lot of the AWA wrestlers would go to after shows, um, and so, you know, she actually waited tables for Andre the Giant and, and Bobby Heenan and that sort of thing, so um, some of these names, you know, she she was familiar with because she had, she'd seen them, you know, they'd come into her bar, um, and, and my dad, being a Kansas City guy, knew these names because Harley Race was obviously the most popular wrestler in Kansas City uh, for, for a time being, because he ran, he ran the promotion. Um, so I think their foreknowledge of Harley Race had an impact on me. It made me think that this guy, you know, had been around a while, that, that if my parents know who he is, he must be something special, that sort of thing. Uh, so I had an appreciation for him almost right away. I mean, I hated him. He was, he was a dirty heel and I didn't want him going after junkyard dog. And, you know, he wasn't, he was, was never going to take the belt from Hogan. You know, that was, that was me at, at seven, eight years old. Um, or, or whatever it would have been, but, uh, seeing him in, in WWF and, it's funny because if you go back and watch the footage of him there in the WWF now, um, he's such a different wrestler than he was, you know, even a few years before that. Um, I think that one of the things that the documentary talks a little bit about, but maybe doesn't go in depth enough on, and not at the risk of hagiography, this is not a Harley race is amazing in spite of the title of the documentary. This is not trying to say that, you know, uh, bow down at the feet of Harley. Um, they, they do a good job of sort of telling his biography. Um, but they, they don't necessarily go in depth about the potential issue of substance abuse. Um, you know, they don't shy away from, and Harley himself does not shy away from talking about the fact that post-match, his routine was you get in the car, you light up a cigarette, you crack open a bottle of beer, and you drive to the next town. And by the time you get to the next town, you're probably a six-pack deep. And it's funny because in the documentary, he even makes the comment about how he needed to replenish his fluids after a match. Um, and he chose to do it with beer and, you know, drinking and driving. And, you know, you have guys like Terry Funk, uh, and Harley himself comment on this. And these aren't new stories. I mean, anyone who's ever heard a wrestler tell a story about Harley race is going to know the following three things. He used to smoke cigarettes. He drank beer while he drove and he was the toughest son of a bitch that ever stepped in the ring. That's the, those are that, those are like the lines, you know, that anybody has to say about Harley race. Um, and Harley even says, you know, he, 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 he does one of those things that, you know, you'll hear people, uh, that, that have had struggled with alcoholism or struggle with, you know, driving while under the influence, you know, they'll, they'll do that sort of, don't be like me at the same time, they never fully take responsibility for their actions. And probably in his mind, it's, there's this sense of, well, I never, you know, I never killed him, but I never got in a car wreck, blah, blah, blah. That said, I can remember very vividly when I lived in Independence, Missouri, the stories of his boat accident coming out, which is kind of glossed over in the documentary. It is touched on, 
um, and that there was an investigation and, and, and there were a lot of people that were very upset in the area because, you know, the, the, the thought was whether true or not, and I'm not here to, to, to dispute whatever facts and findings came out in the case is that Harley was drunk. He was driving his boat and he got into a boat accident and he should have been punished for it. And, and he really wasn't. Um, and I think that an interesting track that is unfortunately not pursued, um, if from my point of view, uh, is that they don't delve into the fact that here's a man who was involved in a serious car accident. His young wife was killed. His unborn child was killed. Um, he, um, immediately, you know, found his way back to the ring, um, was on the road taking the, you know, the, the bumps. Um, that's one of the things they talk about in his early tag team days with Henning is that he, you know, he was the bump machine. He took all the bumps Henning came in and, and did all the big power moves. And, and that was the, their, you know, their routine. Um, and, and he's, and he's, you know, potentially, um, not to dime store psychoanalyze anything. He's potentially trying to ease his pain, both physical, mental, and emotional by putting away a six pack a night. And, you know, he's a cigarette smoker. He's, he's, he's clearly having these sort of self-destructive tendencies at a time when those were not clearly identified and that's understandable. Um, but it would be interesting to have maybe talked a little bit about the impact that that may have had on his career and on his body. Um, because, you know, here's a guy who started really young. He started training when he was like 15 years old. Um, so 20 years later, you skip forward 20 years later, you know, 25 years later, and you find a guy who's in his 40s. And, and again, different times. We took care of ourselves in different ways back then. I completely understand that. But you look today and you're seeing wrestlers who are in their 40s and even early 50s. Um, and you have exceptions to every rule. There are guys that have wrestled matches in their 60s and 70s even. But like you see guys right now today in their 40s and early 50s who are in great shape and, 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 you know, they're able to still have really good matches. Um, they're able to come back from injuries that would have at one point in time ended their careers and were even told their careers were over, you know, just look at somebody like edge. Um, so I am interested. And, and again, I know that that's not this documentary and I get that. But I am interested in maybe delving into that a little bit further, and I wonder if it's something this documentary could have done. Um, they go on, of course, after WWF to talk about his WCW days. You get to hear from Vader, which is fantastic. There's some really cool uh, stuff, uh, actually, that's discussed in the context of his WCW days. And I, and I did appreciate um, Harley, in particular, addressing you know, where he thought he was in his career and what he thought he could bring to the table. Um, they point out some interesting facts. For instance, he did wrestle one last match um, against Ric Flair. Uh, and there is a very funny thing about the fact that he didn't want to lose. So they went Broadway. Uh, and it's, um, I think in a way, in spite of it not being like a, a televised match or, you know, a big marquee match or whatever, it's a fitting end to his career. Um, because he was known for a very long span of time, you know, doing those hour long matches, um, night in and night out. Um, that's, that's kind of w one of the reasons why he was a five time 
NWA World Heavyweight Champion at a time when the World Heavyweight Championship and this is no disrespect to anyone who came after, you know, no no disrespect to Dusty or Flair or any of those guys. Um, but the fact is, is in a lot of ways, Harley was the last big time traveling NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. Um, Flair did it. There's no denying that Flair did it too. Uh, but Flair also held the belt for a, a longer amount of time and had more reigns after the belt stopped being what it had been before. Um, so I, I think that Harley, you know, testament to Harley's career was the fact that he did, you, you know, he, he, he went out there and he was wrestling hour long matches every night. And he was, and he was the guy who would go into a territory and make your top baby face look like a million bucks. Um, the great thing about the WWE network I could talk a lot about the WWE right now, frankly, but I will say, uh, you know, if you've got a free trial or, or if you want to go out there and find the matches, otherwise, please, by all means, do. That's your choice. Um, is that if you go back to the world-class um, television shows and you look at some of those Harley Race matches against Kerry Von Erich or David Von Erich, the thing that he does so well is he makes Kerry and David look like champions, because he gives them so much. Because he realizes that the only thing he really has to do at the end of the day is walk out with the belt. And um, that's not to say the matches aren't competitive. That's not to say every match ends with him cheating or, or you know, in some sort of schmaz or something like that. But there's there's no denying that Harley was a master, as was Flair, uh, as were a lot of other guys before them, at being that heel champ who went in, made the baby face look like a million bucks, and then somehow came away with the win in the end, um, much to the fans' chagrin. However, you know, the fans would go home that night and they would think to themselves, man, Carrie almost had it. You know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like today, I think we get boiled, you know, we get wrapped up in, in, in so many other aspects of the business and politics and, you know, blah, 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 and everybody's an armchair quarterback. And I think it's hard maybe for people to have that same reaction as they did 35, 40 years ago. But, you know, back then, that really was a lot of, of the mindset of the fans. It was like, you know, he almost did it. And maybe he'll do it next time. You know, I, Harley's going to come back to town. And when he does, that's going to be the time. And that's what would draw people back in. You know, and that's how that old school booking worked. Um, and Harley was a master of that. Uh, and that's why, you know, when they focus on his training school, I think that that is... Um, I, I think that that will be an enduring legacy for him, um, was the fact that, you know, he spent his final days, um, years giving back to the business by training other athletes, um, and, and, and still being very involved in professional wrestling. I mean, the relationship that he set up with pro wrestling Noah was, uh, had a huge impact on how, uh, Puro was seen here in, in the States for a lot of those fans that have been involved in tape trading for years and years. Now, all of a sudden there were official licensed, you know, uh, video cassettes and DVDs of a wrestling organization in Japan. And you were getting to see guys like Misawa and Kobashi, um, you know, by way of this sort of deal that, that he had set up with them. And it was great because it meant that he could have his young talent go over there and, and get that experience in Japan, which a couple of the guys even talk about. Um, they, you know, they spend a little time talking about his legacy. And uh, I think, I think that the documentary does make a great case for how important Harley was to the business and for how great of a wrestler he was. 
Um, I think, you know, for a modern fan, you go back and you watch a lot of his matches and they're certainly not going to have the same kind of flash and pizzazz that a modern, you know, championship match would have. That said, when you look at the storytelling and you look at the impact you know, the, the, it all comes down to the selling ultimately. And the fact is, is that he could sell his ass off. And in return, when he hit that vertical suplex, you know, the a wrestler would act like he just died. And, and, and so naturally Harley was going to get the one, two, three with a vertical suplex or suple. Uh, and so I think that the documentary makes a wonderful case for, uh, how great Harley uh, was. And I, I do wish the documentary had maybe gone a little bit more in depth. It's got a pretty lean running time of an hour and 40 minutes. I think when you're talking about a guy whose career, you know, spanned as long as it did and was important as it was, you could absolutely make a case for a documentary that was, you know, half hour, 45 minutes, even an hour longer than this documentary. Now, I will also say they were hampered by the fact that a lot of the footage that they probably would have wanted to use is owned by the WWE. I think... That one of the, you know, one of the sad things uh, about the, the, the way that the WWE controls the footage in order to control the narrative is that uh, you don't have companies that can license that footage for a nominal fee. Uh, I personally believe that, um, y- you know, if you're making a documentary film and, and you need to use some of this footage for your documentary film, you should be able to license it for a very nominal fee in order to help preserve the history of this business. Um, because no matter what they try to tell you, the WWE is not interested in preserving the history of this business. They're interested in preserving the WWE and Vince McMahon's narrative of what the business is. And I think that that is wrong, period. So I do wish that we lived in a time where the WWE would license that, that footage. Now, I'm not talking about licensing whole matches. I'm not talking about allowing these companies to, you know, get whole matches and put them as extras on their DVDs. I understand that, that, that you know, that's not going to happen. It shouldn't happen. They own that footage. It's their, it's their property. I get that. But I do think that in the pursuit of, you know, something that is, is educational, that they should, they should be allowed to have that footage um, for, for a small fee. Um, and I think think that it's it's a shame that that can't happen. And I know that a lot of documentary companies out there couldn't afford it even at a nominal fee, so it's just it is what it is. Um, that said, the documentary does have some uh, incredible special features um, uh, included on the second disc. Um, there's actually uh, about a 10-minute uh, match uh, or, or footage clips of match between Harley Race and Ric Flair um, from All-Star Wrestling, um, which was Harley's promotion um, that is included at the tail end of the, the documentary on disc one. Um, disc two inc- includes uh, some really great stuff, um, most of it uh, either from Kansas City or St. Louis. Um, there's also some 8mm footage um, that I'm not familiar with exactly the source on. But, um, yeah, some great matches, including Harley Race versus David Von Erich, Harley Race versus Ted DiBiase, Harley Race versus Ric Flair, uh, Dick Murdoch. Um, there's there's some really cool stuff that's in there. Um, you know, you get uh, some more comments um, from... Uh, other folks, uh, George South, uh, Magnum T.A., Vader, uh, Jim Cornette, uh, Terry Funk, they all, uh, you know, have some extra stories to tell. Um, I really enjoyed the special features quite a bit. You know, in, in some ways, the, the bonus disc does 
flesh out maybe some stuff that I wish had been included in the documentary. But it also, it's not exactly maybe what I was looking for. Um, But it's, I mean, it's a good documentary. It's worth, it's, it's, it's worth getting. It's worth seeing. If you're a fan of professional wrestling, the first third of the documentary alone is a wonderful history lesson, not just on Harley Race, but on, on the business, you know, and where it was at that particular time when he broke in. Um, And I love stuff like that. You know, I think that just due to the way that history is told and, and, and due to the way that we consume a lot of history these days that, uh, you know, for a lot of people, pro wrestling before like 1985, you know, 1983 is almost non-existent. Uh, there are a lot of fans out there that have absolutely no working knowledge of, 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 of what the business was like, you know, before 1980. Um, and, and, and I think that's a shame because there are so many interesting aspects of this business, um, you know, going back to the 1880s, uh, much less the 1960s or 1970s, and those stories need to be told. Um, so there's some really interesting, wonderful stuff in this documentary about sort of like the late 50s, 60s, and 70s, and I think that uh, that alone is worth the price of admission. I think it's always great to hear from the talent and, and them talking about their career. Um, you know, is Harley a reliable narrator? Uh, I don't know. I think so. I'd like to think so. Um, he certainly doesn't seem to be pulling many punches. Um, you can tell, you know, sitting there 50 years later that, that the car accident is still something that was painful for him, you know, even towards the end of his life. Um, you know, you can see him take joy and delight in some of these stories. Um, and, and you can see him be very serious and and very proud about his accomplishments in the business, um, and very, you know, defensive of, of the business and the importance of, you know, maintaining that, that aura and that mystique of what it means to be a professional wrestler. Um, so I really appreciated the documentary and, and, and I appreciate the story, uh, of Harley race. Uh, I, I appreciate, um, what he accomplished in his career. I appreciate what he represents um, and represented as a professional wrestler, the influence and impact that he has had. You know, I think someone like Triple H uh, is a guy who would absolutely, you know, make no bones about the things that he took and has taken from Harley Race um, to help create, you know, the game, to help create Triple H. Uh, I, I think that, you know, his influence is felt even far beyond that. Um, you know, he's, he's someone that deserves, um, a thoughtful, uh, documentary. And I think that he, he gets just about that. And, 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 uh, I think that, um, this documentary is, is worth picking up. Um, I think the bonus footage is great to see some of these, these, uh, classic matches, hear some of these, you know, really funny stories. Um, and, and I think that on a personal note, you know, seeing Harley in his WWF days as my first exposure and then seeing him as Vader's manager in WCW, um, you know, those are the, the strongest images that I have from my youth of Harley Race. And the impact he was able to have on me as a boy, seeing him, you know, in particular managing Vader, um, is a testament to his ability to tell a story um, and to maintain that that 
persona that he had created years and years and years and years ago in the squared circle. Coming to him today, having now seen some of his classic matches, having seen his work, um, you know, having heard the stories, having, you know, now seen this documentary, I think, um, I don't know that I would say I have a greater appreciation for him, but it's more defined. Uh, and I think that, you know, for anyone who wants to be a historian of the business, which is something that I certainly aspire to be, uh, that that is more important. It's not necessarily about walking away from something like this and loving somebody even more or being like, wow, I thought I knew Harley and I didn't know Harley or, or whatever. But when you can start to, to really fill in some of those blank spaces and, 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 and get a more defined picture of who someone was and what their career trajectory was like, I think it gives you a greater appreciation for the history of the business and the business overall. And for that alone, the documentary succeeds. Um, the other documentary that I uh, watched and, 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 and really, really enjoyed has to be the Championship Wrestling from Florida documentary. Um, you know, the, the wonderful thing about this documentary is that they are, of course, able to use a lot of that footage because um, it's not owned by the WWE. Um, and it's, you know, kind of one of those last holdouts of, of, of footage. Um, it is, you know, again, I would certainly, you know, I would say I would watch, I would watch a documentary almost twice as long as what this one is about championship wrestling from Florida, but I also understand the constraints, um, and I understand wanting to make something that might be a little bit more easily digestible. Um, the the documentary um, itself it, it really it, it to me this documentary felt of a higher quality uh, even production value wise than the Harley Race documentary um, and I think that having a narrator for the documentary was key to that aspect whereas the Harley Race documentary was just sort of a lot of interviews patched together with, you know, photos and, and some footage here and there and that sort of stuff. This documentary feels much more complete, um, in spite of, I would still argue, having a short running time. Still uses a lot of that, um, you know, archival uh, shoot interview footage, of, of course. Um, Dusty Rhodes probably being the one that stands out the most, just because, you know, look, Dusty's amazing, so I don't care you know, what the quality is, I would watch it. That said, it, it, it is kind of a low quality. I mean, it almost, it almost looks like it was a hidden cam. Like it almost looks like somebody stuck their purse on a table and had a conversation with Dusty. And this is just what they captured. I'm sure that's not the case, but that's just kind of what it looks like. Um, that said, it doesn't matter because hearing from Dusty and hearing him talk about the, the Florida territory, um, is, is, is pretty great. And, and, and yeah, I mean, he, he definitely, there's a sense of ego when he's talking about it, which I mean, I don't think anyone would deny that that was just a part of who Dusty was. Um, I don't think maybe quite as much towards the end of his life. I think, you know, the, the final few years of his life was, was spent in a very sort of giving manner, um, and, 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 and a little bit more absent of that ego, especially from a lot of the stories you hear from, uh, wrestlers who, you know, Dusty's kids in NXT, for instance. Um, but of course he's not the only one you hear from. Um, there's archival footage, uh, of the RF shoot interview with Mike Graham. Um, there's Gary Hart stuff. Uh, there's Kevin Sullivan footage. Um, there's, uh, some Steve Kern, uh, footage. There's Brian Blair footage. There, I mean, just a lot of really excellent 
selections uh, uh, from these interviews. And there are clearly some interviews that were done specifically for the documentary as well. Um, I believe the Brian Blair stuff stands out as, as, as seeming like it was done specifically for the for the documentary. Um, the, the documentary does a wonderful job of tracing um, the the territory. It you know it starts with the Cowboy Latrell days. But it really kicks into high gear once Eddie, Eddie Graham comes aboard. Um, and they spend a lot of time talking about Eddie Graham, which is great. And, and it almost made me want an Eddie Graham documentary. You know, I, I think I would um, love to know more about Eddie. Uh, that said, this documentary does a wonderful job of telling you a lot about Eddie. Um, and, and he's one of those guys that, if you've heard his name there is a word that you have probably heard attached to it, which is genius. Um, he, he, he was, uh, by all accounts, a genius booker, the best finished man in the business. Um, you know, and, and obviously Dusty became known as, as, as being one of the best finished men in the business. And, you know, who did, whose learning tree did he sit under, but Eddie Graham. Um, so in the early parts of the documentary, I really, really loved hearing, uh, about, uh, Eddie, getting into the territory, um, you know, kind of getting his piece of the territory, eventually taking the territory over, um, some of the early angles that they ran, some of the talent that was in there. Um, the, you know, the stuff with Jack Briscoe is, is great. Um, anytime I hear from Jack Briscoe, I'm excited. I think that, you know, again, he's one of those guys that because of the era that he was so popular and so great in we 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 only kind of hear stories we don't get to see a lot of it so when you hear him talk about it when you get to see pieces of his matches um it's it's really quite great um there's some wonderful stuff where they they talk a little bit about um how Eddie worked with Dory Funk Sr. in order to promote this uh, tag feud between the Funks and the Briscoes and did it in such a way that they would edit footage so that when the footage was shown in Florida, it made the Funks look like heels. But when that same footage, edited in a slightly different way, was sent over to Amarillo and to Texas, that it made the Briscoes look like heels. And that, to me, is one of those things where it's just like, man, you know, what a, what a bygone day. Like, today, you couldn't do that today. You know, you just, you just couldn't. I think the last time you came close to being able to do anything like that was with the, the Bret Hart, you know, Canada, USA stuff. Um, and I would argue that, 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 that probably wouldn't even work as well today. Um, it would probably still work, but I don't think it would work as well as it did 25 years ago. So um, hearing stuff like, like those stories uh, is fascinating and very informative. Um, obviously, once they get to Dusty Rhodes uh, coming into the territory, um, man, things things start to take off in a very different way. And, and, and it becomes a, a different kind of entertainment almost. Um, but it's great, you know, you, you hear the story, which I'm sure you've probably heard before, because it's a very popular story now, about Dusty coming in, being a heel, um, you know, and, 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 and having that, that mean streak, um, and, and then, of course, turning babyface, and the circumstances of how he turned babyface, and how he just exploded from there, um, and, and how he uh, personally even talks about um, he didn't change a whole lot about his in-ring style. Um, he still was kind of mean and, and, and fought a little dirty on occasion. Um, but he was able to change that, that, the persona, 
um, and, and really just explode into being that baby face uh, that we all know and love and, and be kind of the king of the territory. Um, and this is where, you know, Dusty's ego, hey, and you know what? for good reason, because it's true, takes over a bit, because he definitely relishes talking about how he, I mean, he, he, I think he literally says the words, I was a fucking god. Um, and, you know, he, he was the most popular wrestler in that tor- territory. And the, the really cool thing is they also talk about how they got their footage on a Spanish language channel in New York, so that, people were seeing championship wrestling from Florida. They were seeing Dusty Rhodes, which is one of the things that led to, you know, that Dusty Rhodes, uh, superstar Graham, uh, feud that, that was at Madison square garden that, that put a lot of butts in seats. Um, so there's some really cool, uh, stuff about the early days of the territory leading into, you know, kind of that, that seventies golden era of the territory. Um, you know, once they start to get into the eighties, there's some things that, that happen, um, that, that seem to have, you know, a negative impact on a lot of different territories, whether it was drugs, um, you know, like in the case of, of, uh, world class, um, or in, in this case, a, a plane crash, um, that, that occurred, um, that, that, you know, took the life of Bobby Shane, um, and, uh, Austin Idol and Gary Hart, um, were, were also on the plane. Uh, there's another name I'm leaving out. I'm really sorry about that, but there's, there's, um, they, they talk in detail about that. Gary Hart tells the story uh, of the plane crash in pretty vivid detail. Um, Austin Idol chimes in as well. And it's, um, you can tell that it was a, it was a pivotal, pivotal, <laughs> pivotal moment in championship wrestling from Florida history. And in particular, the impact that Bobby Shane's death would have on the territory. Um, there were a lot of people that were convinced that Bobby Shane was going to be world champion material. Um, and you know, if you've, if you've never heard of Bobby Shane or seen Bobby Shane, I, I encourage you to check Bobby Shane out because he, um, yeah, he, he was a special talent. There's no denying that. Uh, and he deserves notice. Um, and he's one of those guys that will, will never really get his due because he died when he did, uh, and the way that he did. Um, he, you know, would I, would I, would I put him on the same level as like David Von Erich? You know, probably not. I think David was probably a few steps higher along that pathway than, than Bobby Shane was. But I think that, you know, the argument could be made that maybe Bobby Shane was on that, on that path. Um, the Kevin Sullivan stuff is fucking great. Uh, they go pretty in depth about the genesis of his, you know, sort of satanic character, um, his his Prince of Darkness, bringing in Purple Haze, uh, uh, having woman um, there with him, you know, Nancy Sullivan, and and and, and how um, she, you know, she came into the picture. Uh, there's some really great stories surrounding that. You hear from Kevin, you hear from Dusty, you hear from some of the other guys, and it's it's really really great. Um, I, it's one of those it's one of those moments in a documentary like this that just kind of makes you stop and want to rewind it and watch it again, because you feel like not only are you getting a history lesson, but you're getting this really wonderful peek into the inner workings of the business from a creative aspect, like creatively, how did this form and how, you know, how did the execution rise to meet the thought process behind it? Uh, so it's, it's an exceptional part uh, of the documentary in my opinion. Um, 
there's a lot uh, over the course of the documentary about Gordon Soley uh, and his influence uh, on the promotion and, and how important he was to the presentation. Um, some really, really cool stuff uh, with that. Uh, and again, you know, the production values are just worth coming back to. There's some really, really cool set pieces that they uh, end up utilizing um, that, that kind of help give a sense of the purpose of the documentary and, and, and paying tribute to this territory while also, you know, being fairly honest about the, the, the struggles of the territory. And there's, you know, there's some stuff later on in the documentary about Dusty leaving the territory and, and how that was not, you know, it wasn't cool to a lot of these guys. They, they, they thought that Dusty, you know, turned their back and took a lot of their talent, um, and, and, and headed up a little bit North to, to go to Crockett. Um, and, 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 you know, what do you say about Jim Crockett in that instance? You know, did Jim Crockett steal Dusty and, and these other guys? Did, you know, was Jim Crockett basically raiding their talent the same way that Vince was raiding other people's talent? You know, there's an argument to be made that that could be true and, and the negative impact that it had on championship wrestling from Florida. Uh, so I really appreciate what they say and, and, and how they go about telling that story. And it's, and it's, again, it's another one of those choice cuts of the documentary. Um, and then of course, talking about Eddie Graham's death and, and they go, they go into pretty deep detail. You know, you hear from, from, uh, Mike Graham, his son, who unfortunately took his own life in a very similar fashion to the way that his father, Eddie Graham had. And, and, and I believe his grandfather as well committed suicide. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's one of those stories that like we've seen with other, you know, with, with David Von Erich, for instance, coming to mind and his death, you get different points of view. Um, you know, you are kind of left with a sense of what really happened and what really led to his, his suicide. Um, it doesn't answer any questions. It just kind of gives you a few different stories and, and I think lets you make up your own mind. Um, I wouldn't even say that anyone is presented in a stronger manner than other, that you just get some different threads. Some of them seem to maybe overlap. Some of them don't. Um, it's, it's a hard story. It was, it was, it, it, I, I appreciated it. I'm glad that it was included because I think it's a necessary chapter in the documentary, but it, it's not an easy, it's not an easy watch. Um, you know, moving on from there, they talk about the demise of the territory, the, the attempts at bringing it back. Um, the, you know, the talent that, that, you know, came in to try to help revive it, including Dusty, how it never quite worked out. Um, you know, you, you, you then hear a lot about the legacy of the territory and you get the strong sense that a lot of the people that worked there, and these are big names, you know, names like Jack Briscoe, um, names like Terry Funk, names, uh, uh, like Dusty Rhodes, obviously Kevin Sullivan, you know, you get the strong sense that a lot of these guys that work there and especially worked there during the heyday felt like it was the best promotion in the country. Um, that the, that the work rate in the ring was, was of the highest standard, that the stories that were being told that, that, that Booker Eddie Graham put together the way that he put the talent together and executed angles was of the highest quality. Um, and it had everything, you know, that's, that's the thing. You had a lot of territories that might focus on this or that, or this or that, but Florida was a territory that, that had it all. Um, you know, uh, great tag team wrestling, great singles wrestling, blood and guts, you know, brawling, scientific matches, uh, you know, it really did have a little bit of everything. And I think that that probably contributed to, um, 
the overall quality of the territory and the reason why a lot of people uh, truly stand by uh, it being one of the best territories. Um, you know, it's funny speaking with Mark James, uh, who whose interview will will come uh, soon. Uh, he and I were chatting about, you know, what was the best territory, and Mark's answer I do think is right on the money, the one you grew up in, and obviously for a lot of us that no longer exists. You know, I didn't really grow up in a territory. Uh, for me, I had WWF and then WCW. Um, and you know, on up until what we have today. So I didn't really get that experience. Um, I'm aware of it enough. I have a working knowledge of it enough to appreciate the territories. You know, I have an affinity for certain territories, uh, but I think that, 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 that's true. You know, you, you, if you've got a, if you've got a guy who grew up in North Carolina in the seventies, he's probably going to be a Jim Crockett promotions, you know, mid Atlantic guy, no doubt. If you've got somebody that grew up in, in Memphis, they're going to be a Memphis guy. If you've got somebody who grew up in Oklahoma, they're going to be a mid South guy, so on and so forth. And I think that, that that is, is quite possibly true. I think when you try to put an objective lens on it though, Everything that I know, everything that I've seen and read and now heard through this documentary, that you could make a very strong case that championship wrestling for Florida really was the best territory. Um, were they revolutionary? Maybe at times. Um, did they always have the best angles and the best matches compared to each and every territory? No. I mean, Memphis had some of the best angles ever, but you know what? So did World Class. So did Mid-South. Uh, so did Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, there's no denying the, 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 the fan base that, that, uh, filled the cow palace in San Francisco. Um, you know, Detroit, Cobo Hall, the Sheik, Ed Farhat running, you know, shows up there and, and, and the feud he had with Bobo Brazil, you know, uh, you look at New York, you look at Bruno, you look, so it's, it's impossible to say, but I do think that after watching this documentary, a case could be made, uh, for championship wrestling from Florida being the best. Now, could that same case be made for any other territory? Probably. Um, of course, in the same way with the Harley Race documentary, you do get a second disc um, of special features. Uh, some really, really nice uh, stories here um, from Gordon Soley's son, uh, Jerry Briscoe, Jim Ross, Dutch Mantel, Lex Luger, who is someone I, I neglected to mention. Um, you know, he takes part in the, in the documentary and talks a lot about what he learned in Florida. Um, and it's interesting because obviously some folks, you know, immediately like, looked down on him, you know, didn't think that he had any, you know, any real talent, that he was just a body guy, that he, that he looked the part, but that he didn't have anything else behind it, but that he learned a lot in Florida. Uh, worth noting, it's not talked about, uh, in the course of the documentary, however, that, that Florida was indeed the territory where, uh, Luger had the famous cage match with Brody, where he thought Brody was shooting on him, so he just left the cage. Um, but yeah, some really great stories, um, that are told, um, uh, over the course of the second disc, second disc for what it's worth is two and a half hours long. So at the end of the day, you know, you get four hours, roughly a little over four hours, uh, of footage about, uh, championship wrestling from Florida and it's, it's worth it. I mean, there's some really, really great stuff. Um, you know, names that I didn't even get a chance to mention, uh, um, um, Paul Jones, some really great Paul Jones stories, uh, dovetails nicely with, you know, Jim Crockett promotions, good old days, because Paul Jones is all over that documentary as well. Uh, Wahoo McDaniel, um, there's some great comments from, uh, Bruce Mitchell from, you know, Pro Wrestling Torch. There's, uh, some great stuff from Ricky Steamboat. There's, you know, just so many names that clearly participated in this documentary, or rather footage was used from other shoot interviews that they had done to, to fit into this documentary. And, and it, 
Again, when you put the documentary together with the bonus disc and the bonus footage, you get an incredibly clear picture. Uh, if you watch the documentary alone, if you're streaming the documentary alone, it's wonderful. I would even go so far as to say it's superb, and, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. If you really want the full picture, though, I urge you to buy the DVD set and get that second disc because the stories that are on there really, really enhance um, the overall documentary and, and in a way personalize the documentary even more. There's no denying that the personal stories of Eddie Graham uh, and Dusty Rhodes and Mike Graham within the course of the documentary uh, hold up and, and, and it gives a very personal spin to the documentary that, that can give you an attachment to it besides just looking at it from a purely sort of, you know, I'm looking at a promotion. Uh, but the, the stories that are told in the bonus footage on the second disc are all more personalized stories about specific moments, angles, matches, etc. Uh, so well, well, well worth the price of admission on that one. Um, so yeah, it, you know, if I'm, if, if, if I'm giving letter grades, I, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to give a letter grades. It seems pointless. I personally think everyone should see these documentaries. Should, should you go out and buy the Harley race documentary versus streaming it? <sighs> I don't know. I think streaming it will give you what you really need. Um, that said, if you're if you're a completionist, if you want every little bit you can get out of it, get that two disc set. Go for it. There's a lot of great stuff uh, on bonus footage there. Championship Wrestling from Florida, buy the two disc set. I can't stress it enough. The two disc set is where it's at. The additional footage on disc two over two and a half hours, totally worth it. It is it is um, it enhances the documentary. And it will, I think it'll bring a lot of joy uh, to someone who's watching the documentary um, and watching this footage after the documentary. So, yeah, uh, the Florida doc, really great. In my opinion, um, is it as exhaustive as Heroes of World Class or the Jim Crockett Promotions doc? Um, would I put it up against WWE's own produced AWA or world-class documentaries? I think it deserves to be in the mix. I think it's almost, it's almost there maybe. Um, I, I think maybe, yeah, I think it is. I think it is there. I think the championship wrestling from Florida, uh, documentary is, is absolutely worth your time, your money. Um, and go with that two disc set. You will not be disappointed. Uh, you're going to learn a lot, uh, unless you grew up in Florida in the seventies, I think you're going to learn a lot. Uh, so well worth the time where well worth the money. Um, I think that, you know, uh, high spots, uh, did, did a wonderful, wonderful job on this one. Um, and I, 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 I would, again, I would watch the documentary twice as long, um, which you basically get when you put it together with the extra footage on disc two. So I hope that you've enjoyed uh, this uh, peek uh, into these two documentaries, uh, Harley Race, The Greatest Wrestler on God's Green Earth, and Championship Wrestling from Florida, The Story of Wrestling in the Sunshine State. You can purchase both of these two-disc DVD sets on highspots.com. Uh, they are indeed running a sale right now when I drop this podcast for 25% off. Not quite the 50% off they were running earlier, but that is a very rare occurrence. Uh, I don't think they'd ever done that before, actually. So you're still going to get some really great savings. Uh, in fact, I think that brings these to around, like, you know, $15 and under. Uh, so you're going to spend, like, you know, under $30 and get these two incredible documentaries. Um, you know, when all is said and done, you're going to have, you know, close to eight hours of, of footage here um, to, to, to comb through. And I think it's the perfect time to do it. So uh, I encourage you to check them out. If you've already seen them and you 
you uh, agree with some of what I said, disagree with some of what I said, would like to start a conversation, hit me up on the Twitter, at KOPW72. Would love to hear your comments. Um, if anyone has any suggestions for documentaries for me to check out, please throw them my way. I'm always looking for more. Um, uh, up next, we're probably going to do the Rock and Roll Express documentary. Uh, I got the Jim Crockett Promotions documentary. Uh, Bruiser Brody, Magnum TA, um, it's even got the Dell Wilkes Patriot documentary, which I'm actually very interested in. I almost didn't buy it, and then I was like, eh, you know what, I'm going to get this after all. Um, there, there's there's definitely more. Uh, the, the Pure Dynamite documentary, as, as I mentioned, so uh, there's a Terry Funk, or no, a Funk Family documentary um, that I've got as well. Uh, so there's, I, I got a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff to comb through. Uh, so I'm going to be dropping some more uh, episodes similar to this. Um, and, uh, hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy hearing about these documentaries. Um, please feel free to engage with me, uh, on Twitter, uh, ask any questions, recommend anything, tell me I'm an idiot, whatever, whatever you feel like you need to do. Uh, but again, I do encourage you to rush out and get these documentaries at highspots.com, especially that championship wrestling from Florida documentary. Uh, well, well, well worth the price, uh, $20. It is a steal. Um, in the meantime, um, we're still all sheltering in place here in Chicago, uh, looks like we will be for uh, another month, and uh, it's okay. It's okay. You know, we're 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 living, um, we're we're coping, we're hanging in there, and I really appreciate uh, any ears on the podcast because uh, this has been a, an outlet for me recently and uh, something that I can kind of pour some creative energy into. Um, at a time when maybe I was starting to feel a little stir-crazy. So I really appreciate your listenership. Uh, take care of yourselves and one another. Be safe. Be smart. And uh, I look forward to bringing you some more uh, in the near future. Uh, like I said, we're going to have uh, an interview that I actually did back at StarCast uh, about a year and a half ago with Mark James. Um, and then we're going to do a follow-up interview. Uh, but those will drop separately. It's not going to be like one big interview episode. Um, and then uh, also going to have an interview with uh, Chad Olson uh, and maybe some other folks as well from the uh, Legends team over at Phil Singer Games. He works on the Legends of Wrestling game line almost exclusively, um, is responsible for signing a lot of the, the names uh, and talent to the card game. Uh, so that'll be really fun to chat with him. I'm going to definitely have some more documentary reviews and comments coming up as well. Um, and we'll probably dive into some matches. So we'll talk about some matches. Uh, in the meantime, take care of yourselves and one another, I say again. And go back, if you haven't already, and listen to that episode with Matt Charlton, uh, at ShiningWizardDS on Twitter, or at ShiningWizardDesigns on Instagram. Pick up a commission. He'll do some original artwork for you. His new book, J-Crowned, uh, is available now on Amazon.com as an electronic uh, copy, or, of course, you can get the paperback copy as well. Uh, that is from Hybrid Shoot. They are uh, a new publishing company focusing on um, combat sports, professional wrestling, etc. Uh, they've got some books in the Pipeline, in addition to J Crown, which is their very first book, uh, they've got a Ken Shamrock documentary available for documentary biography available for pre-order right now, and they also have um, a book on uh, the bloody matches of wrestling uh, as well. Uh, that's not the official title, but um, check them out uh, at uh, at Hybrid Shoot, or of course you can go to their website hybridshoot.com. 
Um, just for full disclosure, I don't make a dime off of this. I'm not asking for money. Um, I don't partner with any of these people that I've mentioned. High Spots gives me nothing. Hybrid Shoot gives me nothing. Matt Charlton gives me many things, but money uh, and sponsorship, etc., is not one of them. Uh, he's just a, a friend that I've come to know uh, by doing this podcast, and uh, I love his work, and I think that if you like Japanese professional wrestling, you should definitely buy J-Crown. It is a wonderful history of the three major heavyweight championships in Japan, uh, the All Japan Triple Crown, the New Japan IWGP, and the NOAA Global Heavyweight Crown. Um, just really, really wonderful art, wonderful capsule biographies. Uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again, calling them capsule biographies almost does them a disservice because they're they're very well written. And the introduction may be one of the best pieces I have ever read about what it means to be a professional wrestler. So make sure you check that out and uh, make sure you do the subscribe, write me a review, share this with your friends, make your spouse listen to it. Uh, no, don't do that. You, you might end up single. Um, but I thank you so much for your time and I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Mm-hmm.